not long ago, a little boy, his aunt died, okay? His aunt was old, and him and his mom, this was his mom's only sister, and uh, him and his mom went and started cleaning out her house and going through things like we do with, with our family members that, that pass. And uh, this boy's going through her things and, and comes across a, a, a Bible, and it, it's one of the old family Bibles. You know the ones that I'm talking about that never get taken out of the house, right? They're, they're like 10 pounds, super thick, okay? And he asks his mom, Mom, wh- where did Aunt Lucy get this Bible? And she's like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't remember where, where this Bible came from. And he's flipping through it, and all of a sudden some leaves start falling out, and, and he, he, get, he gets really pale and says, Mom, how old was Aunt Lucy? said, well, she was very old, and he, he, he then uh, asks his mom, mom, where, where did uh, she get these leaves from? And she, she couldn't really remember, and he held them up and showed them to her, and they were fig leaves. He, he says, well, I think I just found her clothes. <laughs> this morning, we're going to be delving into the philosophy realm. This is not an exercise of our mental capacity, but, but an exercise to answer two important questions. Who am I, and what is my purpose? You see, much of what we think of, of ourselves, comes from our family history and our past experience. Answering these philosophical questions are huge, and many who are far smarter than I uh, have spent their entire lives and their entire careers trying to answer these questions. Men like Socrates and Plato, Aristotle, David Hume, Immanuel Kant, Karl Marx, Friedrich Nietzsche, and hundreds more. As these men and women have, have wrestled with these tough questions, they've all fallen short in their quest. While they have very high intelligence level they miss the mark because the conclusions that they come up with are all about the man. They're all about themselves. I'm here to tell you this morning that that we will always fall short in this quest of answering the question, who am I? What is my purpose? If we rely on ourselves or someone or something else for our identity. Recently, Recently, I watched a documentary on Netflix about flat Earth theory, and it was a it was a fascinating it was a fascinating uh, documentary. And they used all kinds of laser pointers and gyroscopes to try and prove that the Earth wasn't round, that it's flat. And while this was all very fascinating, and it's good fodder at times, but it, it, what I found most fascinating was the people, the people were really not there looking for a flat earth. They were looking for community. These people, but they really believed that the earth was flat at the same time. And, and at the end of the documentary, the interviewer asked the main character, what if all this is false? What if the earth really is round? Would you walk away from, from this idea that the earth is, is flat? And the main character responded by saying, there's no way that I could walk away from this. I'm too tied to this flat earth movement. 
in the end, flat earthers really just want to be part of something. They want to have their identity in not just themselves, but in a community, in something bigger than themselves. But we may think that this idea of our identity, our identity crisis that we see in our culture is something new, but it's not. It's something that, that's been going on for thousands of years. Today, though, you can, you can decide which sex you're going to be. Uh, you can decide which bathroom or locker room you're going to, going to go into. The circumstances are different today, but Peter is writing this, this letter as a letter of encouragement to help these Christians find their identity. In our text in 1 Peter, as he, as he continues, as he writes this letter, he's encouraging them to keep their faith, that their faith is in something not in, a, in themselves, but in something bigger than, than what they are. As he encourages them, uh, he, he, Peter is understanding that this gospel message is not just in the Roman Empire now. As Peter and Paul, as, as, as we've been studying in Acts, the, the gospel message has spread across the Roman Empire. But people aren't just staying in the Roman Empire. They're traveling abroad. They're traveling far past the borders that would have, would have been the Roman Empire. And as, this, as they've spread outside these borders, so too went the gospel. And Peter's encouraging them this morning in our passage, I'll read our passage for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into, the, into his marvelous light. You see, as we struggle with this identity crisis of figuring out who we are, answering that tough question, who am I? I struggle with this because I forget my principles. Uh, a principle is, is some foundational piece in which we start from. In school, we, we have these principles in math, right? One plus one is two. If you can understand one plus one equals two, now you have a starting point, a launching pad, a true north for what the rest of algebra is going to be. But we, as, as Christians, as people, we forget these principles. Answering this question of who am I is the beginning of, this, of one of these principles. How do we get so off track, though? How do we get so off track in our things that, that ideas like our sexuality or abortion have now become political choices and not choices, not things that we search the scriptures for. We as Christians are not supposed to look like the rest of the world. We're not supposed to, we're not just image bearers of God, but we're image bearers of Christ himself. As uh, this is one of those found, this is one of those uh, foundational truths that one of the deal breakers that we have, that, that we, we're not just ourselves anymore.
that we look like, act like Christ at all times. Our identity is in Christ. This is at the very essence of who we are as Christians. This should cause us to see that, that first we're sinful to the core, right? We're, we're being placed up against something and taking the identity of something that is completely holy, completely true at all times. And when we, when we see the sinfulness, we see that this, this sin separates us from God. But Christ, made a way, God made a way for us to get back to him through, through Jesus. And, and this relationship is made possible because Jesus came and lived a perfect life. A life of sacrifice, a life where he laid himself down on that tree. And when God looks at, looks at me, he's not seeing a sinner anymore. Although I still sin, he's not seeing me, but he's seeing Christ who, who covers me. This is the gospel, this is the good news of Jesus. That we can find our identity in him. As we look at our text, he, Peter starts by saying, you are chosen race. See, Jesus made this, this choice for us long ago. This is, this is our first principle, that, that, that we, uh, this is where we begin to answer the question of who am I? You see, if I start anywhere else along that line of thinking, it's going to become a muddled mess. Because one plus one doesn't equal three. It doesn't equal four, but it equals two. And just like here, this is the, the foundational principle of who we are. This is our true north. Jesus has specifically called each one of us because, uh, because we are completely sinful. And there is nothing good within my heart. There's no way that I would ever choose to follow a perfect and holy God on my own. That just doesn't make sense. I know this because even after I've become a Christian, I still choose to not follow Jesus all the time. Paul addresses this also in his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, he says this, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. We are not the ones who have made this initial choice. Jesus is. He's the creator of everything. He has chosen us in him before all the rest of creation was even thought of. Before the foundations of the world, Paul Paul says. When we bow our knees to Jesus, we lose our identity. We lose our old identity. Paul many times uses this this idea and uses a a Greek word doulos, which which literally means slave. That we're no longer slaves to sin and the things of this world, but that we are slaves to Christ. He's our master now. But we, we have to get away from this thought that of, of southern slavery that, that we so much understand in our culture. 
This, this doesn't mean that Christ is a hard master. He's loving and he's kind and he wants the best for us. This means that we're not, we're not making our own decisions about what is right and wrong, sinful or not sinful. That we're looking to him for this guidance, for this understanding, that these, that these things are bigger than we are. We, as slaves to Christ, don't get to think for ourselves anymore of what is right and wrong in these situations. But we look to Scripture for this. Paul goes on, but encourages us in, in um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old you has passed away, and behold, the new has come. There's something different about us now. Now, our, our bodies are the same, right? But what's inside our souls are different. You're not just you anymore. You're part of God's family, and, and we're not just some goo that over time has developed into what we see today. This isn't some random act that's happened. But it's, but it's very specific. God created us in his image. Thus, we share his likeness. This is, why, this is why you are more important than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. God, God gives them what they need. How much more does he care for what he's created in his own image? Again, I'm not preaching this sermon specifically to you. This is as much for me this morning. I, get, I want to give you a little background of, of how I got here. So I, when I started looking at the schedule, our preaching schedule, I saw that we had an open week. And, and so the text was pretty much up to me. I could choose to preach on whatever I wanted. And so I started writing down ideas and, and, uh, and started doing a little bit of writing to see what, what, what God was saying to me. And each one of those ideas, uh, I just seemed to draw a blank. I would start on another topic, and again, another blank. And I started thinking about our, our study in Acts, and what role does this really play for us? We're reading a, a, a book about our family history, our history of the church, the history of the beginning. And I, I started thinking about, well, who am I? Who am I in this family history? And I didn't, I didn't like it. I put it down. I put it, I put it to the side. This is not a sermon that I wanted to preach because I don't want to answer the question, who am I? Because finding my identity is hard. It's not easy. It's messy. It hurts. Some of you know and, and others don't that that I was sexually abused as a child. While the physical aspects of this are, are long-lasting and traumatizing to a nine-year-old boy, the psychological trauma has been far worse. Uh, recently in the fall, I, I started to see a counselor about this, and, 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 and much of what I'm talking about is stuff that we've worked through in my counseling sessions. 
But what nine-year-old boy is ready to handle this? What nine-year-old boy is ready to handle answering that question? What it did for me is, is bring about guilt and shame, a sense of worthlessness, a, a darkness in which there was no light. You see, I couldn't tell anyone what was happening to me. I couldn't, I couldn't let anybody see the, the brokenness and the, and, and, the, and the rotten, disgusting me that only I could see. And at times I still see today. To deal with this heaviness I was carrying around, I, I threw myself into my athletics. Whether practice or a game, it didn't matter. This is where I didn't have to think about the hurt and the pain, the darkness that most of the other times I couldn't get away from. This is how I medicated myself to ease the pain. As I got older, that medicating of myself turned darker. It turned to pornography as well as drugs and alcohol. All in, it, all in an attempt to, to put a blanket over the darkness that was within me. You see, it wasn't until I became a true believer in Jesus that the veil started to lift and the light began to shone through. This seems like a trivial, trivial question to ask now, but, but why do these things that we try to medicate ourselves with? And some of these things are good. Sports is, is a good thing. But why, why do these things never work? It's because our natures haven't changed. Until our nature changes, until I put my trust in Jesus, none of these other things really matter. My identity is not found in the things that I do. It's not found in my past experiences. It's not found in my family. It's not found in, here in this life. It's not even found in my religious experience. It's not found in me preaching this morning. But it's only found in Christ. And this is what the people around you should see as you live out your days. And we're not perfect at this. I'm not perfect at this. Peter, though, continues and, and, and addresses another, another principle for us, that we're not just chosen, but we're part of a chosen race. And, and some may think that, that this is us replacing Israel. We would call that replacement theology, which is, ter which is bad theology. We're, we're not replacing Israel in this. Israel is a chosen people. What this means is, is, um, is that we're part of this family now. You see, if, if God took back his promise to Israel, that's not just a bad thing for, for them, but it's terrible for us. Because what God can take back once, he can take back again. And that would be against God, his, his um, oh man, I lost for words now. That would be against his nature. Thank you. Uh, this, that, he would, that he would renege on, a, on his promise. We, though, need to, to look at our family, not just to, as who we drove here to church with or who our parents are, but we need to look at our family as those that are sitting next to us this morning. 
those at Village Bible Church are part of our family. They're part, that's why we call each other brothers and sisters. Bill greeted me this morning and said, hey, it's good to see you again, brother. I haven't seen him in a couple weeks since our, since our last elder meeting, and, it, and, it, and it's always good to see him. But, but we as, at Village aren't just the only church that, that is around, that's lifting the name of Jesus high. There's many churches in our area. And when you hear our elders pray from the pulpit, many times we're praying for those same churches. This is too big of a burden for, for us as Village Bible Church to bear on our own. So we pray for them. We lift them high. And when they fall, when they're having hard times, we come alongside them just, as like, just like I would come alongside one of my siblings. Just, along, just the way I would come, come alongside one of my family members. Just the way I would come alongside one of you guys. These are... This is part of our family. When we are hurting, we need to pick each other up, come alongside each other. Paul, or Peter doesn't stop there, but, but continues and, and, and makes this even more specific now. He says that we're part of a royal priesthood. And Peter's looking all the way back to Moses now for our third principle. And what direction of this chosen race should look like. He looks to, to Exodus and, and, and Moses in chapter 19. He says this in verse 5 and 6. Now therefore, if, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, God says, and you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This familial tie to God comes with privilege and expectation. You see, since we are chosen, God is our Father, the King of kings and Lord of lords, we are, and we are part of his royal family. This gives us privilege that not everyone on earth has. The privilege is not something that makes us better than someone else. But the privilege is the fact that we have access to God the Father through Jesus at all times. We're also priests. This doesn't mean that we walk around with a cool hat and a special staff, although that would be pretty neat at times. It, it, what it looks like is, just as there were priests in the Old Testament, just as Moses then went and shared this with the Israel with the nation of Israel. There were priests that would go before God for the people. The awesome thing now is you don't need an elder to pray for you. You don't need me to pray for you. You don't need Pastor Phil to pray for you. It's a privilege to do so, but you have direct access with the Father. You have direct access with the Creator of all things. We pray for each other. That's a great privilege but you don't need me to because you are part of a holy nation also. This is our fourth principle. And, and I know this is starting to sound like Luke now at the end of Acts, right? Peter's hammering this home over and over again. He's trying to get you to see what your identity is. We all know that, that holy means to be set apart. We're, 
we're, we're not to look like or, or act like or conduct ourselves like the rest of the world. Do you, though? Do you conduct yourself like the rest of the world? Do you look differently than the people that you go to school with, the people that you work with, your neighbors? Do you look differently than them? Or do you, do you pursue a life of holiness? Living, living these lives set apart is not easy. It's hard work. And Paul talks about this in Romans 7. People like to read Romans, Romans 6 and read Romans 8, and, and we like to skip over Romans 7. Because Romans 7 starts looking at ourselves, and we start seeing this dichotomy. You can see Paul wrestling with this in, in Romans 7, 15. He starts by saying, for, you do, for, do you not, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do the thing that I want, I agree with the law. That is good. Now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You see him battling himself internally. And he continues, and he has what I think is a small moment of insanity. And continues and says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but the flesh I serve the law of sin. He is still wrestling with this. He's wrestling with this hard idea of this is what God's calling me to. This is bigger than me. I can't do this on my own. It's a daily fight for holiness. But he encourages us. He says in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25, saying, Do you not know that in a race runners run? But only one receives a prize. So, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable one. We need to get, each, get up each day and continue this fight of holiness. Because we're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of a holy nation. Our brothers and sisters around us. We do not wake up one, one day and and just decide that we're going to be a Christian. This takes work. Just like Paul was just talking about, that, that they train themselves. He says in, in um, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, do you not know that in a, sorry, I just read that. Um, but but we, don't, we don't, we need to train for these things. We don't wake up and, and decide that what vocation you're going to do. You go to school. You go to trade school. You learn from someone on the job. We train, we study, we discipline ourselves for these things. And I know what you're thinking now, that, that these things are hard and heavy. I can't do this by myself. Jesus encourages us in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. He says, Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my sake, uh, for, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Peter keeps hammering away at, at where our identity should be found. Because we forget. We go about our daily lives and we forget these things. We get stuck. And, and when, we, when we don't look like the holy nation or the royal priesthood, the chosen people that we are, we get, it's because we get busy in our lives. You see, we forget our place with God. I'm guessing that your lives are just as busy as mine with work and kids and sports and, and all the other extracurricular activities that we have. I get busy and, and I start to lose myself. I don't mean I get lost where I am, but I start to lose little parts of myself. I, for, I start forgetting who I am. I get discouraged because life is hard by itself. Just in daily living is hard. Now throw in all the garbage and baggage that we all have in our lives. Peter goes on and tells us that, that we are a people for his own possession. God has bought us with a price, a price that only Jesus could pay. Today, you know, when we commit a crime, we have to pay a penalty for that sin, for that crime. And that, that, that's justice. We may be sorry for what we've done, but there still has to be justice for that. This payment for our sins is what gives us our standing in God's family, but also gives us the right to stand before God himself. And this is what I start forgetting the most, is that, that I start to look like the unbelievers around me and not the son that I am. I don't look like my father in heaven I, I, I start to say, God, don't worry, you're busy, I got this. I can handle this on my own. And then we get discouraged again, and we fall deeper into this. If I do not access my, st my standing with the son Jesus and have a right relationship with him, then I, can't, I will not have a good relationship with God the Father. Because we're only to, able to have access with God the Father through Jesus. And so that relationship has to be right first. We've been pur purchased by the blood of Jesus. And this is what, what we will be celebrating in just a few weeks with Easter. When, though, we remember that we find our identity in the principles, and we remember our place with God, we should then remember what our function is. What I, what I mean is we're answering the question now, why am I here? What's my purpose? You see, when we have all of these other things lined up in proper perspective, when we start having these principles, these launching points in the right perspective, we'll, we'll start to look like what Peter is saying next, that you will proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a reason to have hope this Easter season. What a reason to live. What a reason to have our identity in Christ. This is what Peter's encouraging these, these Christians who are spread across the world. 
Despite, despite your present hardships, uh, people, be encouraged. Don't let this world get you down. Because we are followers and children of the Most High God. We should be proclaiming the excellencies of, of him who saved us. And be specific about this, not just, oh, God's great. God's doing miracles all around us. The greatest of which is the fact that God has saved you. That's the greatest miracle we see around us. These, there's, there was a time when, when we were all walking in darkness, when this darkness seemed to grow and grow to a point that seemed to be an eternal darkness that would never go away. And you, you and I, we tried to escape this darkness on our own, and, and we found that this was impossible. Just like Peter was in, in prison, and he couldn't escape the prison cell. He's shackled in prison. And then just like Peter, a little glimmer of light comes and shakes those prison walls, and the door sprang open and the shackles fell off, and Peter was able to walk right out of prison. The same is true with you and I, that that light shone through, and we made that, that decision to, to follow Christ at that point. This is the marvelous light that, that Peter is, is, is speaking of. This is the marvelous light of a true, true believer that should be showing through the darkness of our past lives. Now, this is not something that, that we've created. Peter did not break himself out of, those, out, of that, out of that prison. Charles Spurgeon, speaking, of, speaking about a true believer, says, Everything about a true Christian is marvelous. He is a marvel to himself and a marvel to all who are around him. Mere professors and man-made, man-made Christian people who have made themselves Christians by their own free will, apart from the Spirit of God, have nothing marvelous about them. You can make professors of that score, and you can see them dissolved by the score. For, for what man made, man can unmake, and what is merely natural has its season. Like the leaves of the tree, by and by, it withers because its time to fade has come. But a true Christian, a God-made man, a twice-born man, he is a partaker of the divine nature. This is what is marvelous about us. We are men and women that, that God has chosen, and we've responded to this effectual calling. That we do this with, with what Peter is saying is, is, is not up to us. So where are you finding your identity in? What are you finding your identity in? As we continue, our next word is outward. Do you look outward for your identity? Do you look to the world around you for the community that's around you? Are you like the the flat earthers that don't really have evidence of a flat earth and you just blindly follow something? Do you look inward like I do? Or like I did? Trying to cover up the the darkness that's within you. Trying to cover up what or where you find your identity in. 
trying to make the world around you not see who you really are, but see what your projection of what you want, want it to be? Or do you look upward towards Jesus, being the founder and perfecter of our faith? Everything in your life will, will rest on this question. Who am I? If you're having issues in your marriage, is your relationship with Jesus where it needs to be? We all have issues in our lives. Are you someone that is struggling with health concerns? You don't know what the answers of that are going to be. The unknown is hard. Turn to Jesus in those moments. We have many, uh, we have many good things that, and many things that we do that are good around us. We have our families and all of these things. We're celebrating Easter in a few weeks and family will be around. We have good jobs. We have athletics. We have myriads of things to keep us busy. But what are you finding your identity in? Who am I? During this Lenten season, let's look to Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one who is at the center of who we are. We're called Christians. Is this just because you att attend church, or is it because, uh, because your identity is so wrapped in Christ that this is what the rest of the world sees? 